What's up, everyone, and welcome to the Breakline Arena. We are so grateful that you are here. The Breakline Arena is a space that welcomes changemakers, hustlers, and leaders in the tech industry to share their journeys and passions and insights. We are hosted by Breakline Education, which serves to help top performers from underselected backgrounds land new and exciting roles in the tech industry. If you're a person of color or a veteran or a woman, there's info in the show notes about how to join our community. Now let's dive into the arena for today's special guest. How we doing out there, folks? This is your host with the most, Kenny Vaughn. I play for Team Breakline, and I am so excited that you are joining us for another great conversation here in the Breakline Arena. Folks, hold on to your seats because I'm telling you, we have some subject matter expertise that is joining us in the arena today. We have the distinct honor and privilege of being joined by Matt Abrams, who is a professor of strategic communications at the Stanford Graduate School of Business. Matt, how are you doing today? I am doing great. And you know what, Kenny? I wish you had a little more energy and enthusiasm. I, I'm just not <laughs> feeling it. I love what you bring. I love it. Well, I tell you what, I'm, I'm particularly excited about our conversation because although I am from Huntsville, Alabama, where we are known from being long-winded, what I will tell anyone who is willing to listen is one of the most valuable classes that I've ever taken was a strategic communications class when I was in business school. And so as we're preparing for this conversation, I just want to prep the mind of our listeners so they know that the information that you're getting ready to provide, invaluable. Let's just set the scene. Let's set the context there because... That bar uh, is so high, Kenny. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. What are you doing to me? I'll do my best. I'll do my best. Maybe we can just start with, for our listeners who might not be in the know, I would love to hear from the source, why is communication so important in the first place? Can you tell us why it's important for us as individuals to think about how we present ourselves and why strategic communication is an invaluable skill set to hone, develop, and possess? So communication is essential to everything we do in life. It is the way in which we share our ideas, our thoughts, our feelings. It's the way that we listen and appreciate and empathize with other people. It is critical to invest in those skills. The unfortunate thing is we've all been communicating since about the age of one. So there's this assumption that we know how to do it and that we do it well. And that not, isn't always true. We can all get better and we can strengthen our skills. And many people find as they go through their life, through school, through careers, that communication in many ways has affected their success. In some cases, very positively. In other cases, it's been detrimental. The point is we need to take the time to invest in improving our communication and honing our communication. When it comes to strategic communication, that simply means that we are being very thoughtful and deliberate in what and how we're communicating who we're communicating to, the channel we use for that communication. So adding strategic to it just means that we're putting a lot of interest and effort into the pre-communication as well as what we do in the moment in the communication. So what I already love about the insights that you're sharing 
is this is a skill that can be developed. That's what you're telling our listeners, because I think sometimes people may have the assumption that either you're a great communicator or you're not. And this is a very binary thing. It's a very rigid kind of thing. It's not dynamic. But what you're telling our listeners is this is absolutely a skill set that you can invest in, that you can grow, that you can feel more confident in if you're willing to put in the work. Am I hearing you correctly? Improving communication is just like if you've ever tried to get better at a sport or play a musical instrument. It boils down to three fundamental things, repetition, reflection, and feedback. You need to get the reps in. You need to practice. You need to find situations where you can actually try things out. Second, you have to reflect. There's that definition of insanity, doing the same thing over and over again, but expecting different results. And many of us communicate that way. We do it. We move on to the next thing. We never think what worked, what didn't work. And then finally, you need to find trusted others, hopefully others who have some experience that they can lend in insight that they can provide. And by getting that feedback, you can improve. Now, it's not always a linear process. Sometimes it's one step forward, two steps back. But if you commit yourself to getting better at communication, it absolutely is possible. I've committed my life to it, to improving my communication. I've coached and taught many people who've improved their communication. It's absolutely a skill you can work on. So I just want to make sure I'm picking up what you're putting down here, Matt, because you're telling me with the repetition, with the reflection and the sounding board of trusting others... As long as we're willing to put in the sweat equity, we can improve this invaluable skill set in terms of becoming better communicators. Absolutely. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. We absolutely want to unpack some tactical level recommendations for our listeners. But before we do, I know you mentioned that you have dedicated your life to this work. You also are a fellow podcast host. You host the podcast Think Fast, Talk Smart. Can you share a little bit more insight as to what inspired you to start that podcast and what people can expect if they were to check it out, which I encourage all of our arena faithful, please check out this podcast. It's going to give you some great doms, but don't let me steal your thunder. What oh, can no, folks you steal expect away, from You're my new PR man. The energy you bring, I love it. So much like you and your podcast, the goal behind Think Fast, Talk Smart is to provide people with very specific tactical skills that they can use to improve their communication. And I am incredibly fortunate to be able to interview many of my colleagues at the Stanford Graduate School of Business and the broader Stanford campus who do work around communication. I talk to neuroscientists, decision scientists, I talk to biologists, I talk to doctors, sociologists, psychologists. I just today learned and met with Before this podcast, I met with somebody who's a narratologist. She studies narrative. Mm -hmm. And the result is best practices that people can employ to help improve their communication. And I certainly have learned a lot. We hear from people all over the world that they're finding value. And it really is empowering for me to be able to help people get better at their communication. So I'm very excited for our listeners to dive into that content. Because I love the scientific approach that you take to this. And I think that's the really inspiring part about hearing your insights, not only from your lived experience, but also the academic research. Because I think people sometimes often forget that this is a field in which there are proven methodologies. There are proven roadmaps for success. And so I love the fact that 
you're taking a very academic and you're taking a very practical approach to this because it just solidifies the rigor that can be applied to communication. And I really love that. I believe it's the best way to learn. There are people who study this. There's an entire field dedicated from it. My education is based in that field, and I really want to help get that information out to the world. So if it's okay with you, I'd love to pivot this conversation a little bit, because as I think about our Breakline community, as I think about the inspiring individuals who come through our program, one of the most important skills that we all need to possess in the interview process is the ability to tell our story. And one of the reasons why I think this is going to be a very powerful conversation for our listeners to check out is that's such an empowering thing when you're able to tell your story with confidence, when you're able to tell it with conviction. And so as you think about some of the biggest challenges you've seen people face when it comes to interviewing, what would be your advice for them to overcome some of those challenges? Thank you for that question. I'm going to seize on it because there are lots of things I can say. But before I get into that, I just want to say how much I respect and enjoy the Breakline community. I have been involved since the beginning almost with it and done workshops and met with people, known Bethany and team for a long time. And I think what you're doing for the community and the community in general, how they support each other is just fantastic. And I certainly thank all of you and all of them for their service. And I know it can be challenging. The transition from the military to civilian life can be challenging in many ways, especially when looking for work. So let me share three things that come to mind that can help in the interview process and just communication in general. First, I think a lot of people bring some anxiety to these circumstances. You're nervous because you want to be successful. You're nervous because you're questioning if you're a good fit for the job or for this particular industry. So anxiety looms large, and I want to give some recommendations around that. The next thing has to do with framing. How do you take your experience and frame it in a way that's relevant for the people you're speaking to, be it an interview, a presentation, a meeting you're running? And then finally, how do you package up the information that you want to share in a way that will be remembered by people? You're one of many who are interviewing, and how do you make sure that you stand out? So let me take each one of those in turn. Is that okay, Kenny, if I do that? That sounds perfect, man. Yeah, I can talk a lot. Feel free to interrupt. So... <laughs> When it comes to anxiety management, I've spent a lot of my life working on this. I've written a book called Speaking Up Without Freaking Out, designed just for this. You don't need to buy the book. Go to a website I curate called nofreakingspeaking.com, and a lot of the same resources are there. Of course, I'm not going to discourage you from buying the book, but in that, I talk about really two fundamental approaches to managing anxiety. You've got to manage the symptoms, and you've got to manage the sources. Those sources are the things that exacerbate the anxiety. So let me give you an example of each. Many of us, when we get nervous, we activate our fight-or-flight response. And I know in the military, they teach this very same skill, breathing can help. Breathing can help calm you down. I interviewed, as part of my podcast, a neuroscientist, and we were talking about breathing to relax. And he said, you know, Matt, what's most important is not the inhale, but the exhale. And I'm like, what? What are we talking about? It turns out, for some very specific physiological reasons, exhaling is much more important than inhaling when you're trying to calm yourself down. So the rule of thumb, or if you'll allow me, Kenny, the rule of lung is that you should double the length of your exhale versus your inhale. So if you take a three count in, take a six count out. And you only have to do that two or three times to feel the effects in reducing the anxiety. So deep breathing is a great tip for managing the physical symptoms of anxiety. And there are many others that I could share. 
In terms of sources, these are the things that, that make you nervous. There are many sources. The one I'll highlight for all of your listeners is many of us are made nervous because of the goal we're trying to achieve. When you interview, you want to get the job or the next round interview. My students I teach want to get a good grade. It is the goal that makes us nervous. So if you can become present-oriented, which is the opposite of being future-oriented and worrying about the goal, you can do better and have less anxiety. And there are lots of different ways to get future-oriented. Some of your listeners might have heard of flow. Getting into a flow state can help. So you can listen to some music. You can take a walk around the block. You can do some quick exercises. These are ways to get you physical and out of that future thinking. And I'll kid you not, Kenny, my favorite way of getting present-oriented is to say tongue twisters. You can't say a tongue twister right and not be in the present moment. So before I give a big presentation, I will say a tongue twister. It warms up my voice and it helps me get present. So that's the anxiety piece. The next is that framing piece. And I encourage everybody, when I work with Breakline, when I work with Vets Transitioning, I will say, you have a tremendous number of skills. Your job is to translate those skills and experiences into a vocabulary and understanding of somebody who isn't familiar with that. So identify two or three themes that are important to convey about you. Maybe it's that you're very technologically savvy. Maybe it's you have great communication skills. Maybe you're a strong leader. That's a theme. And then take specific examples, testimonials, statistics from work you did in the military that support those themes. And if you can do that, that helps with that translation. And then finally, once we've managed anxiety, we have the message that we want to communicate. That's that translation. We then have to make sure that it sticks. And to have a clear, defined structure is really important. So I'm going to introduce you to my favorite structure in the world. It's three questions. What, so what, now what? When you communicate information, if you tell them what it is, that's your idea, your experience, your beliefs, the so what is, why is that important for the audience, the person listening to you? Why should that interviewer care that when you served on a submarine, you were able to do X, Y, and Z? So you tell them why it's important. And then you make the link. You say, and because of this, I will be able to do that. That's the now what. That's that translation. These skills, here's why they're important. This is what it will allow me to do. What, so what, now what? If you package your information up by answering those three questions, you'll be concise, clear, and memorable. I will now stop talking and let you ask me questions about those three answers. Well, what I love about this is I think it's super important to give very practical, implementable feedback. And I think especially for our community, as they are entering into this chapter of having to tell their own story, having to figure out how to frame their experiences, how to be memorable and build rapport, these are all very tactical approaches, which I think are tremendously important. And one question that I want to just follow up with you on is, as we look at the communities we serve, we're working with veterans, working with women, working with people of color. And oftentimes, that interview environment can be a very anxiety-producing space. And so I loved how you mentioned the importance of the exhale. What's your recommendation for folks who may be trying to overcome a potential bias, who may be trying to find a way to share their story in a way in which they feel is compelling for the specific audience they're talking to. Because I think that's a challenge that a lot of people, they want to be present, but when you get in that space and you feel the energy in the room, sometimes it can be really tough, Matt. It can be tough. So how do we 
bring ourselves back to that moment and show up as the best version of ourselves. So a couple of things. One, be prepared for it. Be prepared for what might happen to you in that moment. I get to work with a lot of people who are speaking and communicating at significant life events, a funeral, a wedding. And one of the bits of advice I give them is that you need to put yourself in that moment in advance through visualization to think about how you might respond if certain things happen. So if you're overcome with joy or overcome with grief, how do you manage that? What's your contingency plan? And I think the same is true when you're going into an interview and you might be confronted with somebody who has some biases against you or your background. You need to think through that in advance. So it's not in the moment. You have some contingency plans. Beyond that type of preparation, I think it's really to think through the audience. Do your best to learn who you're speaking to. And there are lots of ways to do this. You can use cyber stalking. Look at people's LinkedIn profiles. Google them. Look at their company uh, web pages and look at the bios there to get a sense of who you're talking to. You can get a sense of what's important to them. And then you can begin to think about how would I tailor and craft my messages. If you are in the moment meeting with somebody who isn't understanding your perspective or what you're bringing, I'm not saying somebody who's being disrespectful or somebody who is holding some biases against you, simply somebody who's just not understanding, come equipped with ways of getting your point across differently. So maybe you tell a story, maybe you give some statistics, or you leverage a third-party testimonial or voice. Sometimes people don't understand, and they're not understanding because we are not communicating to them the way in which they need to be communicated. I'm a storyteller. If you're a data person, Kenny, and I tell you stories, we're missing. Mm. It's my job to translate my message into the modality that will most hit with you. So it might be I have to use data, even though that's not my most comfortable place to come from. And the other thing to do is to be comfortable asking questions. And by asking questions, you can learn what might be the issue that the person is having. There's some really interesting research now that we live in a very polarized world, as you well know. And some research suggests one of the best ways to get people to snap out of their particular position is to ask questions like, what would it take to get you to see this in this way and get people really thinking and internalizing? So be prepared up front. In the moment, have different tools and techniques for getting your message across and be okay with and comfortable with asking questions to help uncover the concerns and biases people might have. This is outstanding. This is outstanding because I think one of the things that I'm hearing as I'm listening to you share your insights is we have the ability to be proactive and remove some of the potential charge around these situations. And I know as I think about our Mavens community, our women, sometimes leadership is a question that they, for some reason, they always have to prove that they can lead and they have the gravitas to command a room. And so what you're telling us is we can prepare for that situation. We can think about the stories. We can think about the vignettes and come to that situation prepared to tell our story in a compelling way. I really love that. And one of the things that I wanted to unpack with you a little bit more, because as I'm listening to you talk about the importance of understanding the audience in which you are speaking mm -hmm. to, it's the realization that a significant factor, a significant contributor in being a good communicator is empathy. Yes. 
And so would you mind unpacking for our listeners a little bit more in terms of the importance of understanding your audience and why that's such a key factor in being a great communicator? So thank you for that question. I told you I spoke with a narratologist recently. And again, I didn't even know that was a position one could have. And we talked directly (laughs) about empathy. And she shared something with me that again, and this is why I love learning and I love hosting a podcast because I learned so much. She helped me connect two dots that I didn't know needed to be connected. She said one of the big strengths of empathy is it breeds familiarity. And we like things that are familiar. Mm. And if I can demonstrate empathy and I can connect with you, I can become familiar to you. And if I am familiar to you, I am likely to be trusted by you, liked by you, engaged by you. So empathy serves many purposes, perspective taking, but it also breeds familiarity. And when she said that, this light bulb went off and I got really excited. Let me get very tactical. When it comes to understanding your audience, there are three fundamental things I believe you need to understand about your audience. First and foremost, what is their knowledge relative to yours and the topic you'll be talking about? What do they know? Do they know a lot? Do they know a little? Do you have to scaffold them up to be able to communicate the information you want at the level you want? Second, what are their likely attitudes relative to you and the topic that you're presenting? Are they favorable, unfavorable? Is there some kind of bias? And then finally, what are some areas of resistance that they might bring? Is it that you don't have direct experience? Is it they're worried about the translation from military experience to civilian experience? What are those areas of resistance? Because if you know the answers to these questions, knowledge, attitudes, resistance, You can craft your messages in a way to address what you know. If you know you're speaking to a favorable audience, somebody who really wants you to succeed, you can communicate very differently than if you're talking to somebody who's likely hesitant or resistant. So empathy is all about perspective taking, breeding familiarity, and the things you need to be looking for very specifically are what's their knowledge, what are their attitudes, and what are their resistance points. This is phenomenal because I think as I'm listening, one of the biggest things that I'm taking away from this conversation is preparation is a key part of communication. Mm -hmm. You have to think about what the other party is bringing to the conversation. And the more that you're able to do that, you are just going to set yourself up for success and really just a sense of empowerment. And if it's okay with you, Mm -hmm. I'd love to segue to the next portion of the conversation because I think... One of the things that we see within our breakline community is you have folks that have these amazing stories. We yeah. have folks that are coming from diverse backgrounds. They have overcome life obstacles and challenges. They are amazing human beings. And I would love to hear your perspective on something that I have seen as we're teaching some of these workshops where when you tell someone to tell me about yourself, initially, there's a very kind of canned response. As you begin to get to know the individual and you hear more of their story and you build that relationship, it's almost like seeing a flower come into bloom. I like that. I like how you said that. Yes. So for you, I would love to hear any additional insights as to how you've helped people arrive to that level of comfort, arrive to that level of empowerment where they feel confident to tell their own story in a way that's compelling and inspiring. So I think, as we mentioned earlier, that preparation is really key in this. I believe that everyone should think about what 
again, are the most important themes that I want to get across about who I am and what I stand for and what my experience brings to the table. And again, it can be very nuanced and subtle and detailed, or it can be very high level. I'm a good leader, or I can really program and code at this level in this way, you know, very different. What are those themes? And then once you have those themes, you have to practice the stories that you tell around those themes. Not so that you have to memorize it and say it exactly the same way, but being put on the spot when you're nervous, when something high stakes is before you, it is important to have thought about this before. I think everybody interviewing for jobs, everybody in a leadership or management role should have some stories that they can tell that really reflect these themes that are important to them. So that preparation is key. The next thing you have to think about is reflect on what works for you. What are your strengths? What do you do well? You know, Kenny, I wish you would work on your energy level. It's just too low. But I mean, strength is your energy, is the passion you bring. So lean into that. How can I tell my story that leverages my strength of bringing energy and excitement? Other people might be very detail-oriented. So how do you bring those details and show that you have that attitude? So there's a self-reflection. There's a practice and a self-reflection component. And then there's the ability to convince yourself that you are in service of the audience you're speaking to. In other words, there is value you are bringing them. And that's important to remember. A lot of us get internal and say, I'm not good enough. My story is not great enough. I don't have this or that, but you do have something to offer and realize that there's some value you bring. In an interview situation, somebody has looked at your resume, your background, and said there is enough here for me to be interested to find out the value this person brings. Really on focus now. on that, and that can help you. I'm just excited right now because <laughs> I'm reminded of a very similar piece of advice that I received from my communications, strategic communications professor. And shout out to all the strategic communications professors, by the way. I feel like y'all are doing some amazing work. So I just want to give all of the communications professors a shout out. Thank you. We take it. <laughs> but this, it just reminds me of the importance of the mindset going into mm -hmm. these situations. Mm -hmm. And a piece of advice that I received that I will never forget is that the audience wants you to win. Yeah. They want you to win. That's right. And the way you articulated it was so fitting. The fact that whether it's a recruiter or a hiring manager has carved out the time, whether it's 30 minutes, 15 minutes, or an hour, mm -hmm. to say, hey, there's something that we see in Matt. We want to carve out the time to hear a little bit more. If we could default to that mindset at the beginning of these conversations, mm -hmm. how much more relaxed, how much more present would we potentially be able to show up in that moment? So I really love the fact that you brought that full circle for us. I think that's going to be something very empowering for all of our listeners. On the opposite end of the spectrum, mm -hmm. what's your word of advice for people who may be a little bit over-rehearsed or over-prepared? Because I see that, too, as we're working with our participants. Some people, they have such a deep desire to stick the landing. We'll have them record their elevator pitches and they'll do it 50 times. And we'll say, you don't have to do it 50 times. What's your recommendation for folks who may fall on the other end of the spectrum? So over-preparation is a way people try to manage anxiety and it can end up being seen as disingenuous and not as engaging or connected. 
So finding that sweet spot of preparation and not tilting into over-preparation or over-practice is really hard. And for different people, it's at a different place. So I wish I could say practice three and a half times and you're right where you need to be. It really depends. What I would like to suggest is a methodology that people consider and then try it and see if that gets you to where you need to be. So I am a huge fan of outlining content. So write it down. Think it through. It doesn't have to be a bullet point or Roman numerals. It could be a mind map. It can be graphic. But get your ideas out of your head and onto some tool, paper, PowerPoint, something. For some of us who are non-native speakers or have some neurodiversity issues, writing things out word for word, that's fine too, as long as from that you then create an outline. And the outline is just phrases or bullet points. It's key ideas. It's not word for word. And then if you can take that one step further and think about what are the questions that this information that I've just outlined answers can really help you. So if you were to see my preparation for a presentation, for a lecture, for a TED Talk, whatever I'm doing, you will see that what I have is really just a list of questions. And those questions are prompts that remind me to speak to specific bullet points or ideas that I had brainstormed and outlined. The reason I like this question preparation approach is it puts me in a conversational mode. If I am answering a question, by definition, I am in conversation with somebody. So my response is going to sound more conversational rather than rote memory. And so it's a three-step process. You brainstorm your ideas, you capture them eventually as an outline. You might have an intermediary step where there's a script, but you create them as an outline. And then from that outline, you generate questions which feed in. And I believe together that process helps you come out being prepared without sounding memorized and over-rehearsed. But you have to try it. Everybody's different. What I'm hearing as I'm listening to this too is also this sounds like the ability not only to have empathy, but also to build rapport. Exactly. It allows and you to connect. Yeah, this is a huge part of the Breakline program that we emphasize is the ability to not only tell your story, but to be likable and build rapport and to find the common ground that you spoke about earlier. Because I think it's the reminder that on the other end of this conversation is another human being. Yes, exactly. And that's really, really important to remember. We get so fixated on the message that we, forget that, there's, <laughs> that we forget that there's a receiver for that message, right? And that's really important. And this receiver, like you said, wants you to be successful. I mean, if I am interviewing you, Kenny, I want this to be a positive experience because ultimately I want to find the right person who's going to help me and my company succeed. And so I'm rooting for you. And so we need to remember that. And it's all about that connection for sure. So there is another area in which I'd love to hear your expertise on. Mm -hmm. We got a chance to speak to Manny Medina earlier this year. He's the CEO of Outreach. Mm -hmm. He spoke very profoundly about some of the trepidation he had around public speaking because of his accent. Mm -hmm. What I love about his journey was that he was able to conquer that fear by attacking the challenge. And he is a phenomenal communicator. And so as I think about folks who may be in a similar situation as Manny, if you have an accent, if you have a stutter, if there's a speech impediment that you may be struggling through, what's your recommendation for these individuals 
as they may be thinking about how to approach the interview process, which can be a very stressful process mm-hmm. if you're having to compound with yeah. these additional potential challenges. You bet. So it makes it even more difficult for sure. So again, preparation is important. If people have some speech issues like a stutter, a stammer, there are some drills that the people can work on. Many people have sought out help, speech therapy help, and there's some very specific activities that people can take advantage of. I am not an expert in that at all. I have coached many people who have had speech impediments who've done quite well. For those who have accents, a couple things that I would suggest. First, think about starting whatever interaction you initiate. Start a little more slowly and start with something that is not as critical initially. What you're doing is you're preparing people for the experience. In other words, you're letting people say, oh, that person has an accent and sounds like that. And we do very well at adjusting to people's accents. The problem is when you're nervous, you want to make a big impact. So you often will say something that's really critical and you'll say it fast because you've got that nervous energy. That causes the people listening to take a little longer to adjust and adapt. So if you can do a little bit of a slower start, say something that's useful but not critical, then most people can adjust and adapt. And as I shared earlier, have different ways of saying the same thing. So repeat yourself, but you do it differently. So I might make a point and then I give you a statistic and tell a story about that point. So you now have three chances to understand what I said versus just me saying it once. So there's a little extra work to do there. I have a whole chapter, an appendix in the book I wrote on what to do if you're a non-native speaker. And I interviewed somebody on my podcast who has an expertise in helping non-native speakers. And his point was this, and I think this is a really powerful point. Your goal as a non-native speaker is not to sound like a native speaker. That's not your goal. Your goal is to get whatever information you have out with as much clarity and fidelity as you can. And that takes a lot of pressure off people, right? If your goal is to speak fluently and expertly in a language that's not your own, that's a lot of stress you're putting on yourself. If rather you say, my goal is just to make sure I get my point across, that's a lot more manageable. Stress management is an important part of this process. (laughs) I know the viewers cannot see me right now, but... I myself am taking copious notes. Oh, cool. I consider myself a decent communicator, but you are empowering me with many tools to improve my level of communication. So I appreciate you giving these continued insights. Yeah, happy to help. And everybody, I mean, you're already an expert communicator, but everybody can improve. It's not like it's a mountain to summit. It's a mountain that keeps going. We all have to keep climbing to get better. So can I bring us back to present day? Because I know interviewing, even if we were to look at interviewing in 2019, Mm -hmm. is much different than interviewing in 2021 or I assume for the foreseeable future because of, you know, the global pandemic. We're in a virtual environment, distributed workplaces. What's your recommendation for folks who want to show up as the best version of themselves but we're having to do it over a Zoom call. We're having mm-hmm. to do it over mm-hmm. a WhatsApp. We're having to do it in 2D as opposed to 3D. What are some tools that we can implement in order to ensure that we're able to make that same lasting impact in a virtual environment? So I believe everything we've talked about so far pertains. One minor adjustment in terms of content. So the preparation piece, the themes, the structure... All of that applies. In a virtual environment, you have to be more concise. People are so easily distracted. 
people have meetings that abut each other. So this interview is done and now I move immediately into that interview. So you have to be more concise virtually. The big difference to me is how you show up non-verbally. And there are a few things that I'd like to suggest everybody think about. First is the environment you set yourself up in. Have good lighting. Have the camera up at your eye level so you're looking straight. Nobody looks good when a camera is coming up from under their chin. You want to make sure there's nothing distracting in the background. Yet at the same time, you don't want your background to be over manicured. Maybe you use one of those virtual backgrounds. I think you have to be careful because sometimes you can fade into those with shadowing. I want you to look directly at the camera. This is perhaps the hardest thing I'm going to ask people to do. Because when I look at the camera, it looks like I'm looking at you. And that's really important. Eye contact is critical. So that means you might not be looking at the person you're speaking to because you're looking at the camera. But it makes a big difference. You also want to fill half your screen. A lot of us sit far away and we sit in the dark. We like to see people's faces. Fill half your screen. Take your scapula bones, your shoulder blades, pull them down when you sit so it makes you broader. I'm not saying puff your chest out by pulling your elbows back. Just pulling those shoulder blades down make you look broader and make you look confident. Nervous people make themselves small. So it is in the nonverbal presence that I believe a lot of people need to do some work. Now, the nice thing is there's a really easy way to work on this. Most of the virtual tools have a recording feature. Record yourself and see what you look like. Watch it. It's painful to watch ourselves. But when you do, you'll see what others see and you'll make adjustments. So those are my big bits of advice. The content stuff we've talked about already, I think, is, saying, is the same. Just be more concise. Non-verbally, make sure you've got a good environment. You make yourself big. You look at the camera. I have to ask you this question out of curiosity because I wish our viewers could see your body language right now. You have a wonderful smile on your face. Your energy that you bring to the conversation, it's just contagious. What was it that brought you into this space? What was it that made you want to dedicate your life and your life's work to helping others become better communicators? So I like you, Kenny. So I'm going to tell you the real story. The story I tell most people <laughs> is I came to communication as an undergrad. I fell in love with it as a field. I didn't even know it existed. I ended up graduating in a field I didn't know existed. I went to grad school in a field I didn't know existed when I started. I went into the work world to pay off debt, and I saw how communication negatively impacted some people. And that's the story I tell everybody. The real story is this. When I was 14 years old, a freshman in high school, my high school English teacher told me that I was pretty good at talking. It was the very first day of class. He had everybody go around the room and say, what did you do this summer, right? We've all been through that experience. My last name is Abrahams. I went first. I always went first because they did everything alphabetically by last name. The end of the class, he comes up to me and says, hey, for going first, you did a really good job. You should go compete in this speech tournament this Saturday. Freshman, I did whatever the teacher said. I got ready. I wrote a speech. He said, do it on something that you find important and like. And I did it on karate. Martial arts have been important in my life. I've been doing them over 35 years. I did a speech as a 14-year-old on karate. Well, I was so nervous. I was in a room with my friends, with the girl I liked, with my friend's parents who were judging this thing. I was so nervous. I forgot to put on my karate pants. I was just in my regular street <laughs> pants. Yeah, you, you see where this is going, Kenny. I started my speech with a karate kick because I wanted to get people's attention. I ripped my pants from zipper to belt loop in the back in the first 10 seconds of a 10-minute speech. It is at that moment I became aware of how anxiety can influence communication. And I became 
fascinated by it because I was a victim of it. And as a result, I studied it. I've done research in it. I've committed my life to it. I've written a book on it. That's the real impetus for what I do. So there's the real answer, not the answer I give everybody else. First and foremost, I just want to thank you because I think the insights that you've provided over the past hour, A, are invaluable, but B, I think you've empowered people to step into the best version of themselves and present the best version of themselves, which I think is all anyone wants to do as they're searching for a job. So I wanted to start by thanking you. But the second thing I'd love to hear is, do you have any parting words of wisdom or parting words of advice as you think specifically about our Breakline community? What final word of wisdom would you leave in terms of folks who are trying to pivot into that next rewarding part of their professional career? Well, thank you for your kind word. You've not only made me blush, but thank you. Express a lot of gratitude for the opportunity to help. I would share some advice that my mother gave me about communication. And I know she didn't create it, but I think this is important advice for everybody to hear. And it's tactical. It's not inspirational. I think Breakline, you have Kenny to be your inspiration. Let me give you some tactics. My mother's favorite quote to tell me is, tell me the time, don't build me the clock. And what I've mm. noticed in the Breakline community that I have worked with, with vets that I've worked with, there is a tendency to give a lot of detail, too much detail, especially up front, and lose the focus of what's most important. So just focus on telling the time rather than building the clock. And if somebody wants the clock built, they'll ask. Don't assume. So that's very specific advice. And I'll leave the inspiration and the motivation, Kenny, to you, sir. You are so good at that. <laughs> you definitely inspired me and reinvigorated me. So thank you. Well, Matt, on behalf of our entire Breakline community, I just want to thank you for carving out the time. I have learned a lot from this conversation. For all of our listeners who tuned in for this episode, I would highly, highly encourage you not only to check out Matt's TED Talk, check out his book, Speaking Up Without Freaking Out. He's got a great podcast, Think Fast, Talk Smart. There are so many great resources that he has made publicly available for you to continue to build up this skill set. And so once again, thank you so much for empowering our listeners to tell their stories in a compelling way. And for all of our listeners out there, if you like what you heard today, we just need you to do one of three things. Go and hit that like button, hit that subscribe button. And if it really touched your spirit, we'd love if you'd leave us a review. It helps us continue to get this content out there. And more importantly, we'd love to hear your thoughts on the content we're producing. So on that note, this is Kenny Vaughn signing out with the great professor, Matt Abrahams. Thank you for your time. We will see you all on the high ground. Thanks again, Matt. Thank you, Kenny. Awesome. Thank you guys so much for joining us for another episode of The Breakline Arena. We're hoping that you're walking away feeling a little moved little inspired. And if you really had a good time, feel free to head on over, rate, subscribe, leave us a review. It does help us spread the good word, keeps these good vibes rolling. Yes, we would love to hear from you. Thanks again, and we will see you next time.